Not to righteousness tends to be long. So keep your love on, on. Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. Our mission to share God's love through the truth of His Word. In each episode, we learn how to simply walk with God every day. This podcast punts phony religion and offers real salvation through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's straightforward and it's straight from the Word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org. That includes a free video series to bless you, free Bible studies to strengthen you, and of course, we'd always love to hear from you. You can contact us at getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode, so let's go. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright, bright, bright. Keep your love on, 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 on. All right, let's get started in Proverbs 1, verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. A fool is a godless person, someone who doesn't believe in God. And so this makes perfect sense that having that fear of the Lord, that awesome reverence, that recognition of who God is, that is the very beginning of knowing anything, of any kind of knowledge. And isn't it funny right now, there seems to be a lot of uh, circling information out there, but how many people actually know anything. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you this, the people who know something, first and foremost, know God Almighty and fear God Almighty. And again, if you're not familiar with that word, fear the Lord or how to fear God, it's not being scared. It's having just an awesome reverence and, and sort of this understanding of how huge God Almighty is, both in his love and his authority. It's, it's hoping for the whole understanding of God. That's what fearing the Lord is. So if you've never heard that term before, do yourself a favor and spend some time studying it out in the Word. It's fascinating. And as it says here in Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if we want to know anything, it starts with the fear of the Lord, that awesome reverence and that awesome respect. Because again, it says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We're seeing this right now, how some people absolutely blow off sound instruction, very straightforward instruction. People are just blowing it off and acting like they don't have to listen to it. And you know what, my friends? That's a very slippery slope. It's a very dangerous place to be. Go to Hosea 4 verse 6. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This is very serious. In a lot of cases, it can be life and death. It can permanently alter a life if a person is deciding to abide in a lack of knowledge, it can be outright destruction. And it says even further, because thou hast rejected knowledge. You know, God puts knowledge out there. He puts himself out there for anyone to get to know him that chooses knowledge, that wants wisdom and instruction. God is available. It's not hard to find that sound wisdom. It's not hard to find that sound instruction when you're seeking the face of God. It says in here, Hosea 4, 6, though, because thou hast rejected knowledge, 
I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. It seems to me this is what's happening in the land right now, is that so many people, generations, have chosen to reject the knowledge of God and now are, are facing crisis, crisis after crisis after crisis, not knowing what to do. Why? Because they don't have true knowledge. Again, what's the beginning of knowledge? It's the fear of the Lord. So once that these people that have rejected God are faced with life-altering decisions, it's very sad to see what's happening. So here's what we need to do. We're seeing this sort of desperate state of a nation, nation after nation after nation across the globe, right? Because of a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge is what the word says. Meanwhile, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So as we dig it out in the word, we know we will be protected by God. The Hebrew meaning of the word knowledge is cunning. It's to know it's to be aware. Now, there's also a root word behind this Hebrew meaning that we're going to hear more about in our next message from our featured minister, Corey. And there's a lot of additional significance that he'll cover. But at the root of this word knowledge is observation, care, recognition, and instruction. That's right. When we want to know something from God, first and foremost, we have to observe observe God. We have to care that God is seeking to instruct us. We have to recognize that God's knowledge is above all knowledge. So then the question becomes, okay, well, how do we get knowledge? I love this because the Lord is so simple and straightforward. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. It says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. You see, the Lord is looking for those that are seeking him. The Lord wants to open up this knowledge for all of us who ask of him. So let's ask the Lord. Lord, show me how to navigate this challenge. Lord, show me how to get the most out of this situation. Lord, show me how to be victorious against these adversaries. Lord, show me how to be at peace in this turmoil. Okay? Ask the Lord and trust Him. It says in Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Well, the Holy Spirit gives us all understanding. So knowing the Holy Spirit, we're going to get to it. Yeah, that's how we get understanding. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. We've all been taught certain things in this world and they have a purpose. You know, you got to know how to change oil. You got to know how to do dishes, clean your house, all those things. That knowledge is, is one thing. But when we trust in the Lord with all our heart, we know that when we ask, he'll give it to us. And when we seek, we'll find him. So we'll trust him in his instruction and his knowledge that he gives us. 
And we also know that he'll instruct us in all things. So my friends, lean on the Holy Spirit. If you don't have it or you're not sure, go to getyourloveon.org. We have an entire Bible study on how to get the Holy Spirit, how to walk in it every single day. Because it's so important in order to walk with God, we have to learn to separate the natural reasonings, the natural thought process from God's thinking and God's thought process. Doing so is as simple as being in our word and asking the Lord to show us things according to the Holy Spirit. It's very simple, but we do need to separate truth, God Almighty, from lies because there's great promise with God and there's great destruction in the world with their lies and staying ignorant of God Almighty. In 1 John chapter 2, we'll go to verse 20. It says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. That's quite the statement. That is quite the statement. We know that knowledge of the Holy is understanding. That's according to Proverbs 9.10. And in 1 John 2.20, But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. So suddenly we go from knowledge of the holy is understanding in the Old Testament to boom. Jesus Christ of Nazareth has come, resurrected, given us the comforter, given us the Holy Spirit. And now we actually have unctions from the Holy One. We are actually told, instructed, and there's there's a propulsion in our life from the Holy Spirit. And it says we know all things. How can Apostle John say this? It's because Jesus Christ said in John 14, chapter 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. My beloved friends, know this one thing. The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is always the way, the truth, and the life. This is true. God Almighty promises us, He shall teach us all things. He shall bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever Jesus Christ has said, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. This is total. This is all-encompassing. There's nothing missing from this equation. So that's why, again, in Proverbs, it can say, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. The Lord is so careful with us. He wants us to have the knowledge that we need to not only be successful in this life, but to have eternal life for all eternity to be with Him. That is a level of knowledge and instruction that no individual human mind can even contain. It requires submitting to the Holy Spirit. That's why Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2 said this to the believers, those filled with the Holy Spirit. But you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. He was already confident in this because he was speaking to Holy Spirit filled believers. So again, if you don't know whether or not you have the Holy Spirit or if maybe you got it and you're, you haven't been exercising it, my beloved friend, this is your chance. Do it. Start right now. Don't let another moment go by without you praying in your Holy Spirit, without you praying in tongues, without you saying, okay, Lord, I want your knowledge. 
That's it. I want to lean onto you, not my own understanding. Lord, show me how to do that. Because as these, as more and more information kind of piles high, some of it valid, some of it not, a lot of it crummy, <laughs> a lot of it inaccurate, we need to be able to use the knowledge of God Almighty to sort through and know up from down, left from right. And that's what the Lord gives us. That's why he says, he shall teach you all things. Christ said that in John 14, 26. And so Apostle John can say with assuredly in 1 John 2, 20, you know all things. When was the last time anybody ever gave you so much confidence? That's through the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to have it. That's why we need to walk in it. That's why we need to be exercised in it and say, okay, Lord, it's a process. I know that. I want all of you, God. I want all of you. Because again, Apostle John knew who he was writing to. Believers, Holy Spirit-filled believers. In verse 21, again, this is 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, 21. It says, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Real line of demarcation right here. This is pure separation. Lies on one side, truth on the other. There's no middle ground. This is black and white. So as we walk through this life, it's, very, it's a very simple thing to say, Okay, Lord, show me the truth of this matter. Lord, you show me the bottom line. <laughs> show me the truth of the matter. Because we know that no lie is of the truth and there's no gray area. It's truth or it's lies. And the Lord will show each of us. Why? We have, an, we have an unction from the Holy One. Isn't that awesome? So while there are those that are destroyed for lack of knowledge, as we talked about in Hosea, in the Old Testament, we have an opportunity through the unique gift of the Holy Spirit to access all things that God wants us to have. So what, what's holding us back? What could possibly hold us back? When God gives something to us, don't let anything hold you back. Just go after it. All of it. Go after all of it with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, knowing that God will give in abundance. He gives to those that ask. Those that seek, find, and those that knock will have the door opened. It says, let's go on in 1 John chapter 2. This is verse 27. It says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. That is so incredible. That promise of God. That that anointing from the Holy Spirit teaches us all things. And it is true. And it's no lie. That is incredible. God gives us the Holy Spirit to understand and teach us all that we need to know for whatever circumstances we'll face. Just rely on Him. Just trust Him. Just seek Him. Spend that time in your word and trust that the Lord will show you what you need to know in that moment you need to know it. And as you do, you'll see the Lord come through and you'll just think, whoa, this is so much easier than having to figure things out on my own. 
It is so much easier. The Lord is so gracious and he gives us, you know, he'll teach us things in a variety of ways. Sometimes people from out of the blue uh, that you've never met before in your life. And you're going to hear about this in our friend Corey's message. Sometimes the Lord will send us people we've never met before and he'll teach us great lessons through them. And again, rely on the Lord, trust him, seek him, spend time with him. You know, if watching TV is making you anxious or if your job is making you anxious, if certain situations in your life are making you anxious, tune out, open your word and just start reading. Just say, Lord, fill me with your peace. Lord, help me understand the situation. I just need you, Lord. I just need you. And watch how he pours into you. So that's the instruction for those that believe in God Almighty. We get to trust him that he'll teach us all things. So while there are those that are destroyed from a lack of knowledge, as we seek God, we can trust him that we will be taught all things. But let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because this is what's happening right now, and, I, and God wants us aware. There are consequences to ignorance. There are consequences to putting your head in the sand. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. In order to be saved by God Almighty, a soul must love the truth. That's step one. But because there are those that have not loved the truth, that they might be saved. Instead, they're packed up in, in all this deceivableness of unrighteousness and perishing. So again, how important is it to have the knowledge of God? How important is it to know the difference? And how important is it to have that sincere love of the truth? It's critical, my friends. In verse 11, it says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, that's, is, again, the, the word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's, it's always fully applicable. And we're seeing this right now, pleasure in unrighteousness. And it's sickening. It is sickening. And again, that's why it's so wonderful to have the word and to know God and to be able to say, well, Lord, sick him, Jesus. You just go handle this situation because I know your promises are true. And I know that you have the eternal victory. Satan has no power. He has no way to be victorious. He can only put on a show. Christ already slammed him into the pit of hell for all eternity. He's there. That's it. So walk in that victory. Know that your love of the truth is the, the very thing that will keep your soul. Keep walking forward before the Lord. Don't look back. And we're going to hear more about that from our wonderful friend, Corey, in just a moment. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're in verse 13. This is beautiful. It says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, 
brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Isn't that wonderful? So if you're one of those souls that just, man, just give me the truth. I'm sick of the lies. I just want the truth. Bless God. Thank you for that. Thank you for being that way. And know that God has chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. From the beginning, God's chosen you. Isn't that wonderful? That's why you have that pulse for truth. God's given that to you. So, so walk forward in great confidence and walk forward with great love for all those you see that are also seeking the truth. It says in verse 14, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we go. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Yeah, stick to it. Stick to what the Lord's been showing you. We just heard how the Holy Spirit teaches us all things, so stick to it. Verse 16, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Isn't that awesome? That is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. God has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, through that incredible love of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So God wants our hearts to be comforted. He wants us established. Established is, is to be firmly planted and pointed in the right direction. He wants established in every good word and work. That's what God wants for us. He wants us very well informed and wants us keeping our eyes on him seeking him and seeing this life and the natural things of this world as he sees it. So ask him, Lord, how do you see this? And it is a, a process, my friends. That's why we have each other. And the Lord will send people into our lives at the perfect time because he's God. <laughs> he does things perfectly well. And, you know, they might even be angels and we might be unaware of that. But they're there to guide us and help us and ensure we don't look back, but keep marching forward before the Lord. So here we have an incredible message from our friend Corey about a man who God loved enough to pluck him out of a complete, total, disastrous situation. As you're listening to this message, you'll hear why it's so important to seek God for his knowledge and keep our eyes on him. Here's Corey. Today we're going to go through Genesis 19. We're going to take a look at the journey that a righteous soul went through. And there's actually some quite sobering events and repercussions from you know, certain decisions and just uh, the environment that this soul was in at this time. Now I've titled this message, Don't Look Backward. There's a couple of different reasons why I chose this title. Some of it will be clear as we go through the scriptures, but the point I really want to make with it is when we look at 
our circumstances in life and the decisions that we make as we go through life, we're to look at it from the Lord's vantage point. And if we're looking at it from another vantage point, we're actually looking backward. We're looking at things backwards to how the Lord would be looking at it. So anyway, before we get into the scriptures here, I'll just give a little bit of background. We're going to be talking quite a bit about Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew who followed him to Canaan when God told Abraham to leave his country and his people. And you can kind of read about that in Genesis 12. Now, when Abraham and Lot settled in the land of Canaan, they found that there was not enough pasture for their flocks for both of them to dwell together. So they separated themselves to avoid conflict. You can read about that in Genesis 13. Because Abraham was very wealthy. And I'm sure Lot was very well-to-do as well. So in order to have the resources available, they separated themselves. So Lot, he moved eastward from Canaan to Sodom because it had a good supply of water. The land of Sodom, that whole area around that city, was actually described as being like the Garden of the Lord. The land was very good and very desirable for pasture because Lot was a herdsman. In other words, it was profitable for Lot's natural business. But the people living there were very, very wicked. So we're going to start here in verse 1 of Genesis 19. And we're going to see how Lot fares. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, or in the evening. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So right off the bat here, we see something of Lot's nature and makeup. He showed a deep reverence and respect for the Spirit of the Lord, even without consciously knowing who and what these two angels were at the time. They probably just appeared as men who were new to town in the natural being a righteous man, Lot had that witness within him to show that reverence and respect. And Lot said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, or no, but we will abide in the street all night. So Lot made this offer of hospitality and initially they refused. Now, being angels sent by the Lord, they genuinely did not have need of those things. And these were spiritual beings that were manifesting in the flesh. But this might have been a test to see how sincere Lot actually was. Because they already knew what was going on in Sodom. Those two angels had actually been sent ahead by the Lord for a particular purpose, which we're going to discover. Now, for his part, Lot knew the nature of the men of Sodom. He knew they were very wicked. And being a righteous man, he would not willingly allow two travelers to be or remain in such a precarious situation, having nowhere to lodge for the night in this, in this city. So if he could do something about it, he was going to. Now, this was more than just good manners. This was 
seeing to their welfare from, from what he could see, seeing them as just being two men new in town. And so he pressed upon them greatly. In other words, he was very insistent. He said, no, please come and stay with me. And he convinced them. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. So he got him in, got him taken care of, fed them. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, or completely surrounded it, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, all the men in the city from every walk of life, from every quarter. I mean, they had artists and engineers and soldiers and all the rest of them, probably, and beggars and princes too, probably. Everyone from every quarter, the entire city. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. Now, this is quite a statement that was actually made here. I'm going to break this down a little bit because this wasn't a standard meet and greet welcome wagon here. This wasn't a, hi, we hear you have new guests in town and we'd like to meet them. This isn't what this was about. The word know in the Hebrew, well, it means to know, to know something or know someone. But it's used in a great variety of senses. It can be used in a figurative sense or a literal sense can also be used in a euphemistic sense or an inferential sense. Those last two are what a, what's important here. When a word is used in a euphemistic sense, that means it's used to describe an offensive thing by a less offensive or inoffensive expression. For example, we say poop. Poop is a euphemism for the other four-letter word we replace that offensive word with something that's less offensive in proper, you know, polite speech. So the word no here was being used in the same way for something else. It's also used in an inferential sense. In other words, it was something that's not directly expressed in words, but was implied by the context. So what were they actually saying here when they said, we want to know these men? Well, the exact same Hebrew word, yada, is used in multiple places in the Old Testament to mean sexual intercourse. Three times in Genesis 4, for one example, where, where that exact word is used, and multiple other places. Now, I'm going into this because of what's going to transpire here throughout this chapter. I'm not glossing it over, and I'm not sugarcoating it. We're going to break this down and understand the, the nature here. So it's the men of Sodom were making a demand of a sexual nature by saying, bring these men out that we may know them. And this is clear from the dialogue over the next few verses here. So I'm not just taking this one verse and spinning it. There's a whole context here that we, we can infer this from as well. So verse six, and Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him. In other words, he didn't see a welcome wagon. He saw a very 
clear and present danger. So he went out to speak to them and he shut the door behind him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. So this righteous soul, he actually went out and risked his own safety to protect those under his care because he had invited them under his roof. And not only was he doing that, he was warning these men of Sodom against their wickedness. Don't do this. Don't go there. Now he says this in verse 8. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. In other words, they're virgins, probably teenagers. He said, let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do you to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Well, that statement means exactly what you think it does. Lot was trying to pay this mob off with his daughters. Today, we would consider this to be shocking, a horrible, horrible thing, and it is. But we have to remember, this was about 4,000 years ago, give or take a few centuries. And back then, society in general was much more concerned with basic survival. We didn't have the technology and, you know, food production and all that that we have today. It was very much closer to being hand-to-mouth and was quite precarious at times. And in this society, these ancient societies, women were often, not always, but often, they were considered and treated as not much more than possessions. They were just kind of, you know, passed around and that was, that was it. And an unmarried girl living under her father's roof, she had very few rights to speak of, if any. She was just, she was there and the patriarch had the, had the say and that was it. So it's quite, uh, quite a different way of life than what we're used to today. Now, living in that survival mode, if you will, that meant there was a lot more, uh, or I should say a different emphasis put on relationships between people. And uh, when you invited someone into your home, that wasn't just, oh, hey, you can crash on, crash on my couch for the night. It's totally cool. It was something much more significant. When someone took others under their roof, they were accepting a moral responsibility to provide for their needs, to protect them from harm, as long as they were there. It was actually kind of a social contract. I'm inviting you in. That means I'm pledging to provide shelter from the elements, to provide a place for you to hide so you don't get robbed or kidnapped into slavery because you're out in the open. I'm providing you with food because you may have run out on your journey and you know the, the comforts of a bed and a fire, being able to wash your feet and all that. So it was much more significant than uh, how we kind of view it today. Now, with this moral responsibility, in this society, it was more acceptable to suffer damage to property. And those daughters were basically property in that culture back then. It's more acceptable to suffer damage to that property than to fail in that obligation, fail to keep that pledge that you made to the, those ones that you brought under their roof. That's kind of the background why Lot made this offer here in verse 8. He was doing according to the customs and culture 
of the time. Now, Lot made this offer of his daughters to the mob out of desperation. He knew he was in trouble here, and he knew what their intent was. So he makes this offer, and the mob reveals their true nature and intentions in their response to him. Verse 9 here is very telling on what he was actually dealing with. And they said, stand back. In other words, he tried to appease them. He tried to give them a substitute. But their minds were set specifically on those two men under Lot's roof. And they would not accept any substitutes. In other words, they had a very particular orientation, if you will. And they weren't going to accept anything else. And they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs be a judge. In other words, you came here to live in our town and now you dare to judge us? Yeah, Wait, that's what they were saying. Very self-righteous, very presumptuous. In other words, they're taking undue liberties with Lot and with the ones under his roof. They were stubborn. They would not change or deflect from the path that they had chosen. And they were full of pride. We're the top dogs here. We can do whatever we want and nobody's going to do anything about it. That's the spirits he was dealing with here. And now we will deal worse with thee than with them. So right there, they openly admitted that they had evil intentions from the beginning. In other words, we were going to deal badly with them, and now we're going to deal even worse with you. Mm -hmm. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. So now, not only was this mob making an unreasonable, indecent, and very wicked demand of Lot, they were instantly ready to use violence to get their way if what they wanted was not willingly handed over to them. So, okay, we're just going to break the door down. Coming by force. So this is quite a situation. Lots in here. But now the Lord intervenes. Verse 10. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. They shut the door tight. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Now, there's a spiritual significance to what happened here in verses 10 and 11. Right here was when the final judgment was passed down on Sodom. The door was shut and the lights went out. Right here in verses 10 and 11. In other words, they had passed, the men of Sodom had passed the point of no return. The men of Sodom were so spiritually blind that they continued in their folly unabated, even though a notable miracle had been worked upon them. They'd been smitten with blindness, and yet they were still wearying themselves to find the door and try and get in. Spiritually blind and stubborn. Implacable. Now, up until this point, the people of Sodom had access to one who would tell them the truth and warn them against wickedness, if they were willing to hear it. Lot, Lot was there as that 
righteous witness. We're going to continue through this chapter, but I'm going to jump over to Matthew 11 quick. Because Jesus said something about Sodom. On verse 20, it says here, Then Jesus began to upbraid or rebuke the cities where most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. So Jesus kind of started chewing out these different cities where he'd worked these miracles, and they completely disregarded it. And in verse 23, he says this, And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. That's quite a statement. We've already seen how great the wickedness here is with the men in Sodom. And Jesus said, if they had seen the works that were done in Capernaum, they would have repented. They would have turned from their ways, and that city would still stand today. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. So going back to Genesis 19, they had that righteous witness there. And if they just heeded it, repented, they could have escaped destruction. But they didn't. The door was shut. The lights went out. And after this, the mercy and long-suffering of the Lord was removed from Sodom because they had completely rejected the example and admonition of a righteous soul who had lived among them for years. Lot was there for years. Looking at the timeline, I estimate probably 15 to 20 or maybe even more. He was there quite a while. And once they rejected that, they could no longer find it even if they wanted it. That's quite a fearful thing when the Lord removes his mercy from a soul, from a city, or from a nation. That's fearful. And so, now the chickens are coming home to roost. Verse 12, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place? So now, though the door had been shut on the rest of the city, Lot's family still had one final chance to deliver themselves out of destruction. This wasn't done for their sakes. This was done for Lot's sake. He was the only righteous man in that town, as we'll see. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. That was it. The Lord's long-suffering had been removed. The Lord's mercy had been removed, and now the judgment was coming. And this is why. It's one thing for an individual soul to sin and bring their own soul into destruction. That's bad enough. But it's quite another for them to willfully force their own sin onto others without any regard for right or wrong or even basic human decency. That's just that much worse. And that cry that had waxed great before the face of the Lord, I looked up that word, cry. It actually means, in Hebrew, it actually means a shriek. In other words, a sharp, shrill scream, usually caused by terror 
or pain. I wonder how many others had been assaulted by the men of Sodom before this. Because they were pretty brazen. The entire city turned out and surrounded this house and made these demands. Like they'd done it before. Like they had gotten away with it before. Or so they thought. That's the cry the Lord was hearing. The, the oppression and abuse of those souls and what had been done to them. Now, Ezekiel prophesied this in Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50. He was talking to Jerusalem after it had been backslidden, but he makes a reference to Sodom here, and this is what he says. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, number one. Pride goeth before a fall. You know that scripture. Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Yeah, quite the opposite, actually. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. So that's what the Lord saw and heard in Sodom. That's why he did what he did there. And it's kind of interesting. It wasn't just the pride. There was also fullness of bread and an abundance of idleness. In other words, because it was such a good land for pasture and agriculture, they had everything they could possibly need and more. They had an abundance. And they didn't have to work very hard for it, obviously, either. And so what crept in? A pride, a complacency, and every other wicked thing followed behind it. And verse 14, Genesis 19, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. In other words, they shut the door on themselves here, thinking that he was joking. In other words, his sons-in-law were very dismissive, very complacent. They got pretty comfortable living in that city where they had everything they could want. And that's not a safe place to be. Augur, in the book of Proverbs, he actually told the Lord, and I'll paraphrase, I think it's in Proverbs 30, he said, give me neither poverty nor riches. And, par and paraphrasing, he said, don't make me poor lest I steal. He said, don't make me you know, overly rich lest I deny the Lord. Well, this is what happened in Sodom. They were overly rich, they denied the Lord, and they became lifted up in their own hearts. And obviously his sons, they were caught up in that. The sons-in-law were caught up in that. And being the patriarchs of their own houses, that meant that every soul under their roof also fell under their responsibility and their decisions. So it wasn't just them. That was missing out here. It was their wives. It was their children. So they thought he was joking and they dismissed him. Well, when the Lord comes to us and gives us instruction or warning, in whatever manner it comes, it doesn't have to be, you know, an angel from heaven shining in bright glory. I mean, it can just be a man like Lot here. Just walked in and said, sons, we need to leave. And the Lord gives us that instruction or that warning. The onus is on us to believe it and obey it. So anyway, Lot delivered his soul here. He gave them the warning. 
And then he went to take care of his own business. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, you know, got him, hey, come on, let's get moving here, saying, arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here. In other words, take the ones you got here with you and get out, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. In other words, the judgment's coming, time to move. So in the end, Lot had to leave everything and everyone, including his two married daughters, married the sons-in-law, and probably a whole parcel of grandchildren too. He had to leave them in order to save himself and those with him. This is a spiritual foreshadowing of what God requires of us as Christians today. Matthew 10, 37 and 38. This is Jesus speaking. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So three times Jesus says, these are not worthy of me. And I, I checked this out. I researched it. I went through the scriptures to see if I could find anything else here. But this is the only place in the Bible, Matthew 10, 37 and 38, it's the only place in the Bible where the Lord specifically says of anyone that they are not worthy of him. He singled out these ones in particular. So when we have a true spiritual walk with the Lord, we love him more than anything or anyone, regardless of the personal cost. Because he also says this in verse 39, he that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. I'll expound on this a little more in a bit. It's so going back to Genesis 19, verse 16. And while Lot lingered, and he's kind of hanging around here, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. The Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. So it was the mercy of the Lord that the final decision to leave Sodom was not actually left up to Lot himself. The Lord here, he actually pulled rank and brought them out. He took them by the hand and literally pulled them out of there. The Lord actually pulled rank because Lot was hesitating. Even with the Lord's warning and the two angels there urging him to go, Lot hesitated and was reluctant to leave Sodom. That's what that word lingering means. I mean, he even stayed the night after that warning was given. So why? He knows the city's going to be destroyed. Why did he hang around? Well, likely it was because of the heart pull he had for his family that was still there. Those sons-in-law, those two older daughters, and whatever grandchildren they had. I'm speaking spiritually here. For those that dwell in Sodom, their only hope of escaping destruction is to get out of Sodom. A righteous soul cannot deliver others from the destruction of Sodom by staying in Sodom themselves. 
Now I'll speak more clearly. Those that have loved ones living in a state of sin cannot deliver their souls by accommodating them in that sin. As Christians, our job is to set the righteous example. Number one, set the righteous example. We are to take the righteous stand. We are to pray the righteous prayer. Jesus didn't say, don't love your father and mother, don't love your son and daughter. He said, just don't love them more than me. To still love them. Pray for them. As the scripture says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that means the man, Christ Jesus, within you, with the Holy, as the Holy Ghost, whether you're male or female. It, still, it applies either way. So, mothers and fathers, yeah, pray for your sons and daughters. Sons and daughters, pray for your fathers and mothers. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for your friends. In other words, we do these things, but in the end, we have to put their souls in the Lord's hands. We do our part, but in the end, it is between each individual soul and God, where they go and where they end up. And God has the final say. It's God's call. So Lot got out of Sodom here, and it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that the angel said, Escape for thy life. Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. So angels given Lot a very stern, dire warning here. Lest thou be consumed. Though he was a righteous man, Lot's hesitation at leaving Sodom indicated that he was not quite where he should have been spiritually. Lot was operating in the permissive will of the Lord rather than the perfect will of the Lord. And he was running a huge risk with his life and with his soul as a result of that. Now, what do I mean by that? There's a permissive will of the Lord and there's a perfect will of the Lord. Well, the perfect will of the Lord, a soul is prayed up, full of the Spirit, they're dialed in with the Lord's mind, and they're speaking and operating according to His perfect will. Going where, where they need to be at the perfect time, they're saying what they need to say at the perfect time, it just lines right up. When a soul's operating in the permissive will of the Lord, they may be running into issues. Now, I don't mean that if you're facing opposition that you're not perfectly in sync with the Lord. What I mean is the Lord does give us a certain amount of leeway to make mistakes and learn from them, but we're not to take that long-suffering for granted. We're not to test the Lord's patience and push the envelope. And the Lord will allow us to go a certain route to learn things and then bring us back in. And where Lot was here, he was allowing that hard pull, the genuine love of his family, to delay what he was supposed to be doing according to the word of the Lord. He was actually letting it hinder him. So he was, he was in a permissive will where the Lord was allowing him a certain amount of wiggle room. But if he had been in the perfect will of the Lord, he would have recognized where they're at, 
that's it, I gotta go. The Lord said to go, I'm gonna go. Now, Ezekiel, again, I'll quote him. He says this in Ezekiel 18:24. When the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them shall he die. In other words, it's what we do now that God takes into account. It doesn't matter if we'd spent years and years walking righteously. If we end up being caught up in a sin at the last, what went before isn't accounted. Yeah. So this is a pretty sobering thought. If Lot had given more heed to the pull of his heart, and had decided to stay in Sodom with his family, oh, maybe I can convince them to get out. Maybe the Lord will spare the city if I stay here with them. Lot, Lot had made that decision. After receiving the instruction of the Lord to leave, he would have committed the sin of disobedience against the Lord. He would have directly disobeyed what the Lord instructed him to do. He would have committed that sin, and he would have perished he would have lost his righteousness. He would have perished along with everyone else in Sodom. So it's quite a fearful and sobering thing when you consider where, where he was actually at here. He was kind of skating on thin ice a bit because the angel was telling him, yeah, escape for thy life, lest thou be consumed. In other words, it's not guaranteed that you're, you're in the clear yet, buddy. You, know, you, need, you need to move. So this vulnerability of the human heart, you know, that heart pull, that's why the angel instructed Lot and his wife and his two daughters not to look behind them as they escaped. And look not behind thee. That word look in the Hebrew means to look intently at something. And it specifically implies to regard something with pleasure, with care, or with favor. In other words, if they were going out of Sodom, that was appointed for destruction, and they're looking back at it with favor or care. That says something about what's in their, actually in their heart. That's why the angel said, don't look back. Don't look backward. Mm -hmm. So I'll repeat verse 17 again here. Angel said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. So he gave, him, gave several specific instructions here. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Hmm. When an angel sent from the Lord gives a soul very specific instructions that are a matter of life and death, this is not a good reply. Oh, not so, my Lord. So that's, that's not what I want. Well, let's see where the, how Lot fares here. Lot says this, Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. So yes, he was genuinely very thankful that the Lord had given him this warning and got him out of there. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. 
Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. So basically what Lot was saying is here is there was another, there was another city nearby. Well, actually it was probably just a tiny little village. He said, it's close by. Let me go there instead of going all the way up into the mountains. So let me go there. So he's kind of, you know, bargaining with the angel here a bit. Instead of just following the instructions, no, no, why don't you just let me go over here instead? The spirits that a soul spends time around or associates with can affect them and wear them down over time. Being surrounded by such wickedness for so many years and having his righteous soul vexed by their ungodly behavior, it seems that Lot's faith had maybe weakened a little didn't just trust the Lord and just say, okay, you said go to the mountain, I'm going to go to the mountain. He said, well, no, that looks too hard. I'm going to go over here instead. So again, maybe he'd been worn down a bit. Now, Lot was an old man, and he was probably looking at the natural difficulties he would face in going up into the mountains to live. You know, that's not an easy place to, to go settle and live. He likely thought he would have a better chance going to a village nearby instead. Well, as we'll see, it's always better just to trust and obey the Lord right from the start. We're going to see how he makes out with this. And the angel said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. So the Lord gave him permission. The Lord gave him permission. There's a difference between enthusiastic approval and permission. Just want to make that point. So the Lord gave him permission. Even with his apparent shortcomings here, Lot still had favor in the Lord's eyes. And the Lord graciously gave him that permission to go to the other city. And held off, and he even held off on his dealing with Sodom until Lot was out of harm's way here. Actually, the Lord actually deferred here for a time. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. So that, uh, they, named this, they named this village Zoar, which means little in the Hebrew. So just, it was just a little place they gave it this name. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. In other words, it was complete and total destruction. When the Lord does something, he does it perfectly. He wanted to perfect destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah, and that's what he did. Not even the grass on the ground was left to mark the place where those cities stood. But Lot's wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So again, the Hebrew word for look here means specifically to regard with pleasure, with favor, or with care. The angel had instructed them not to look back 
because of that spiritual implications it had for the heart and soul of anyone who did so. This was a spiritual test which Lot's wife failed. She flunked. Because in her heart, she put the daughters and likely grandchildren that she left behind ahead of the Lord in her heart. Again, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus said it in Matthew 10, 37. Now, this may seem like a hard or cruel requirement, but it's actually a great safety for us. The Lord does not love our natural flesh. He's just here to serve a purpose and then it withers and dies. He loves our soul. And things he requires of us are for the benefit of our soul. That's what he's concerned with. If a loved one is living in a state of sin and a soul accommodates them in that sin, rather than taking the righteous stand against it, that soul has effectively put some other spirit in the place where the spirit of the Lord ought to be. They put something else first in their heart. And they've broken the first of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's Exodus 20, verse 3, if you want the reference. Now, there was a particular judgment that came upon Lot's wife here for disobeying and looking back. And I'll break, I'm going to break this down a bit. A soul that is looking back at Sodom will not go one step further spiritually. They will not have the spiritual strength to withstand the further assault of the devil. The devil is not going to let up. They will have become a pillar of salt as Lot's wife did. So what's a pillar of salt? A pillar is something stationary, incapable of moving. It's fixed in its place, like a pillar or a post, and that's where it stays. In other words, there's no more forward movement spiritually. And salt, this word refers to salt in the specific sense of that it is easily pulverized and easily dissolved. In other words, there's no physical strength to it. Can't withstand the flood of waters that come against it. It'll just dissolve. A soul that's looking back at Sodom with that, that favor and that care, that's their spiritual state. They won't go any further. And they will not have the strength to withstand the flood of words, ungodly words that the devil unleashes, and that's it. So don't go there. Now, verse 27, we'll continue here. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And behold, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. So in other words, the destruction of Sodom was done openly. It was obvious to everyone. God made an example out of Sodom as a warning for others to heed. You know, I've seen fires like that out on the prairies. A grass fire gets going and the wind takes it. It just obliterates everything in its path. And I've seen it from miles away. The entire horizon is just a one big wall of smoke. That's all I can see. You can't miss it. It's open and obvious to everyone. That's what Abraham saw 
when he looked towards Sodom that morning. Just that wall, the entire horizon, just full of smoke. It was very obvious what had happened. And everyone knew the Lord's judgment had come down on that wicked city. That's why the Lord did that judgment, performed that judgment in such a manner. So that would stand as an example for all time. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. See, in Gen back in Genesis 18, there was a discourse between Abraham and the Lord. Because Abraham knew the Lord was heading towards Sodom to bring judgment to it. And so he, he bargained with the Lord and said, you know, Lord, will you destroy this city if there's righteous souls there? And the Lord said, no, I won't do it. The Lord promised him if he found righteous souls living in Sodom, he would, not, he would spare the city. But because the wickedness of the city was so great, the Lord removed Lot out of Sodom in order to accomplish his righteous judgment upon it. And he still kept his promise to Abraham. Now the name Lot in the Hebrew actually means a veil or a covering. As long as Lot was in Sodom, he was actually acting as a spiritual covering for the entire city. So that city would be spared as long as he was there. When Lot departed, because there was no one left who was righteous, that covering was removed and the destruction came to pass. And I speak to the believing, properly baptized, spirit-filled Christian today. You have the same role and place in this world today. The world only stands as long as we are still appointed to be here. God put us here for his own purposes and his own pleasure. And as we walk through this life, we're here to overcome this world. That's the purpose of us being here in this flesh, is to learn to overcome it, rule over it, put it in subjection, and counter the influence of the devil on the flesh and the fleshly nature. So as long as God has a purpose for us to be here, as long as we have a course to follow in this world, this world will stand. When it's no longer necessary, when all of us have finished our, our course and are ready to go return to the Father, that's it. The Lord comes back for us, and that's it. It's just Sodom on a global scale, basically. Anybody that thinks they're going to come back and you rebuild some kind of society after the Lord's return, there's not going to be anything left to do so. Go read Peter. Here's what the Lord himself said. Luke 17, verse 28. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. See, they did all their usual stuff everyone else does. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In other words, when the Lord comes back in his full glory. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and the stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. Don't mind the natural stuff. Just go with the Lord. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. And then verse 32. Remember Lot's 
wife. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples regarding his second coming at the end of the world. His exhortation to us, because we are his disciples, to remember Lot's wife, that's a sobering reminder that though we are in this world for a time, we do not belong to it. As Christians, we are not to allow our heart or our soul to be entangled with the things of this world. We are expected to stay separate, spiritually separate, stay holy, stay ready for our Lord's return, regardless of what is happening on the face of the earth. Be like those wise virgins in that parable. Keep those lamps full of oil and keep the lights burning. Or as Brother Bob used to say, stay paid up, prayed up, and ready to go up. Amen. Mm -hmm. Words to live by. Verse 30 of Genesis 19. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. So remember, he was kind of bargaining with the angel here. He wanted to go into this village and stay there because he thought it'd be too hard to go up into the mountain. Well, he ended up going into the mountain anyway. Why? Well, I kind of read something a while back. Just kind of stuck in my mind. The minimum safe range, minimum safe distance to be away from modern explosive ordnance is about one mile. That's the minimum safe distance. And even then you might still get hit. My point being, the judgment of the Lord coming down on Sodom, raining from heaven, fire and brimstone, Lot likely found that Zoar was terrifyingly close to that fire and brimstone that was raining down on Sodom. And ultimately, Lot ended up doing what the angel had instructed him to do in the first place, which was flee to the mountain. So when the Lord gives specific instructions, it's always better just to follow them in faith rather than let those natural concerns or natural reasonings get in the way. That's where a lot of trouble people run into comes from. Natural concerns get in the way. Natural reasonings and rationalizations get in the way. And that quenches the spirit. Or it, could, it can quench the spirit, if you let it. And Lot dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. We're going to see a situation here which is very unpleasant, but... Like earlier, it needs to be broken down and can't be sugar-coated. There's a spiritual significance to what happened here. And the firstborn said unto the younger, this is Lot's two daughters, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the seed of our father. Well, that means exactly what you think it does. They're planning on committing incest with their father. This is the final tragedy that befell Lot in his dealings with Sodom. Again, the spirits that a soul spends time around and associates with can affect them, even if they have a godly example in their life. Children especially, being naive and impressionable, are particularly sensitive to these influences. 
You may not even see it right away. They can have repercussions years later. So parents, please pay attention to your kids. Don't just ship them off to school and assume that school is going to do your job for you. So Lot's unmarried daughters, though living under his roof, had their hearts and their minds influenced by the great wickedness that was all around them, and they acted accordingly. By their own twisted logic, this is that natural mind again, they thought they were actually doing good. Oh, we're going to preserve our father's lineage by doing this. That, that was their rationalization for, for doing this. That's how twisted that influence was on these young minds. And they carried it out. They made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also. And go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. So you can see Lot was not a party to this at all. You see the guile and manipulation those daughters used in going about this? They knew that their father was a righteous man. They knew he would not willingly partake in this act. So they got him into a vulnerable state. Oh, have some wine, Dad. Have some more wine, Dad. Next thing you know, he's passed out. Can't do anything. Got him into a vulnerable state, and then they used him as they pleased. So that's the influence that growing up in Sodom, even with a righteous father, had on those young women. Completely destroyed them spiritually. Even though they got out of the city, their minds were completely warped and twisted by the influences around them. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. Now those two tribes, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they ended up being mortal enemies of the descendants of Abraham. They had countless wars with the children of Israel throughout their history, and that conflict continues to this very day. Still going on today. Just watch the news. So though Sodom itself was completely destroyed, its spiritual influence was able to continue through those vile acts that Lot's daughters committed and the subsequent raising of new generations under that influence. So they not only did it themselves, but how do you think they raised those children once they had them? So there's not much said about Lot after this chapter. He's mentioned a few times. For the most part, that's kind of where his story gets left off. It doesn't say what happened to him after that. It's pretty sobering. It's pretty sad. But it's relevant today. Now, normally, I kind of like to finish messages on a higher note. But the tone, the soberness of this one, I think I'm going to leave it as it is. But I will leave one final thought here. To look at only the natural things in our life, the natural concerns, without considering the spiritual things, is to look at things backwards to how the Lord would. 
Lot first moved to Sodom because the land there was profitable for his natural business. But how much did he or his family actually profit in the end? He was a righteous man. He was faithful to the Lord. But you see the course he went. So that's all I have for today. I know it's not exactly a fun subject, but sometimes we have these things for the Lord to teach us, help us grow and get a greater understanding. So as always, I say, I love you. Lord bless you much. And bye for now. And ye, my people, I would say unto thee this day, yea, anything, anything that I would ever ask you to do, anything that I would ever lead you to do, yea, I have already given you the strength to do it. Yea, I have already even poured in what thou wouldst need spiritually, physically, emotionally, and even financially, yea, to even get you through and guide you through step by step. For yea, I am a loving God. And yea, what I love is your soul. Yea, what I want to spend all eternity with is your soul. So yea, question not, but yea, trust and know that I have already given you everything that you would need to do anything I would ever ask of you. Thou art precious to my heart, my people. Yea, my great love. For yea, I see in each one of you that yea, I am your first love. My precious ones, I look at you and I see my son Jesus. Yea, within each and every one of your souls, saith the Lord. What you just heard right there was called prophecy. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit speaking through an anointed vessel, and that is God Almighty talking right there, again, through an anointed vessel. Wasn't that incredible? That message from Corey is awesome. Uh, please do yourself a favor. If you'd like, go to getyourloveon.org. Every show is archived there. That was a lot of meat that was given out. And so if you'd like to review today's show or prior shows, please do that at getyourloveon.org. Just click show archives. I'd also like to let you know we have a brand new video series that just launched. We're so excited about this. It is on YouTube. So if you go to Get Your Love On, um, our channel at YouTube, you can access the brand new video series. It's called Telling It Like It Is. Uh, or you can also go to getyourloveon.org slash videos and you'll see the new video series. Each episode is about 25 minutes long, packed with incredible instruction and knowledge of God from a true apostle. And uh, it'll bless you immensely. We hope it does. It's always free and it's just there to strengthen you. So please take advantage of it. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope it blessed you as much as it blessed us offering it. And again, if you'd like to reach out, go to getyourloveon.org. We're there for your prayer requests to answer your questions. If you have a specific topic you'd like to hear about, learn about, know about, please go to getyourloveon.org and we will respond. We're here to share God's love through the truth of his word and to bless you. And so I hope this did that since we spent the last little bit getting our love on let's make sure we keep our love on 
Keep our prayers going for each nation. Keep our prayers going for our communities to be strengthened in the knowledge of God, in His might, in His love. And let's watch God's great miraculous victory spill across the globe as we stand for righteousness in perfect unity. Lord bless you much. We'll be back next week with a new show. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright. Right, right. Keep your love on, 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 on. Don't let it die, don't let it die, don't let it die, no, no. It's a simple message, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. I keep my love on. If I were you And I'm a simple singer But my heart and mind are strong I keep my love on Yes I do You must dream in color Ask your questions Cause life does not give honorable mentions Thinking more than two dimensions In case your tightrope loses tension I'll be here if ever you need a friend friendly Don't let it die, don't let it die, let me tell you.